0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, Chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that we can sing of your goodness, your love, your care, your grace. We're thankful that as we read your word and study and continue our worship in the word, we know that we'll see more of your amazing grace. We know we'll see more of your love and your faithfulness. Help us that we would worship you well, that we would be submitted to you, that your spirit would teach us, encourage us, guide us, and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. What do we have an unlimited supply of? Think, think, um, is air unlimited in its supply? Is oxygen water? I know for, you know for some of us, we'd like an unlimited supply of baby back ribs or <laughs> buffalo wings. For others of you, you're not into those things, like, you don't want to eat meat, so you eat, like, kale and beets. My wife makes these smoothies for herself with kale and beets and fennel and carrots and celery and other unnameable nasty things that she puts in there. And then she puts in some, like, pineapple and apples. It's great. You know, she does this. She came up to me just a couple of days ago and said, This is the best one ever. Take take some. All right, and I I took a sip, and I'm thinking, why do you want me to drink dirt? Because it tastes like dirt. Why would you drink this? Well, well, well. An unlimited supply of beets? No, nope, not unlimited, or celery? No, not unlimited. Scientists are working to harness the capabilities of nuclear fusion, yes. If they can overcome the challenges of mass destruction and the like, that'll help. Um, they seem to think there'll be a, an unending supply of clean energy, so that, that's good. I read up on this nuclear fusion concept on dummies.com, and when I was finished, guess what I felt like? I felt just like a dummy. But if they were to be able to do this nuclear fusion deal and keep it going somehow, there would be an endless supply of clean energy. I don't know if that will ever happen, I don't know how close they are, it may happen, but I do know that there are some resources that are unlimited in their supply. <clears throat> One thing we have to know about something that has an unlimited supply, the, the item itself, the result, cannot continue as long as the supply itself doesn't continue. So anything that has an unlimited result must have an unlimited source. So as we consider this morning a source that is unlimited and a result that is unlimited, we recognize there's only one place that this can come from. It's from our God and particularly his son Jesus Christ. We're in the book of John in chapter 1, I want you to draw your attention again. We read this in our responsive reading, but I want to read again verses 14 through 18. In verse 14, the Bible says this, "And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying," This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. What you might look at this passage as, it's, it's a, an unending supply of grace. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's a gift that benefits all of God's people. And as we consider this unlimited supply of grace, we want to note some truths about it from this text and some others. First of all, Jesus is the storehouse of, of grace. Jesus is the storehouse of grace. Look at verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, you've probably memorized this. Many of you have probably memorized John 1.14. So it, 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 it resonates with you and, and you, and you feel with it. But I want I want to take us a little deeper into this text just for a few minutes by looking over at Exodus 33, please. Because what we have here in this text of Scripture is reminiscent and certainly pointing us back toward God's tabernacle, the tabernacle that he had instituted back in the days of the Israelites and their worship of him. The tabernacle, the Bible tells us, was constructed so that god would dwell among his people this is why god had the tabernacle constructed you know you remember as the tabernacle went from one place to one to another what was it that told them where to go was there some sign that made them go from this location to that yes there was if it were daytime it was a pillar of what cloud right you could see it during the day and at night it was a pillar of Fire. And so they would know, okay, this is where God wants us. Why do we know he wants us? Because that's where his presence is. How do we know? Because he's leading us. He's leading us and wherever that presence stays, that's where we put the tabernacle. Because the tabernacle is a place where God dwells with his people. That was the whole point of the tabernacle. And here in John 1, that we were just looking at, God says, and the word. Now earlier in the passage he said the word was with God and the word was God. It also says that Without the word, nothing was made that was made. So we have some, some, some element to this word that is not just uh, the Bible. It's actually what we call the incarnate word or the logos of God. God says, I will say, bring myself to you. I will, uh, I will demonstrate who I am in your presence. But this word, Jesus, spoke the world into existence. And God is telling us that he, this creator of all things, is dwelling With his people. And it reminds us of what's happening here. Take a look at in Exodus 33 and verse 18. Moses is speaking. He says, Please show me your glory. Now that that's an interesting request, isn't it? Please, show me your glory. I wonder if that's a a request that God from Moses will, will heed. Do you remember? You remember what it's like? Well, just a couple of verses later, he tells us about this, starting in verse 21. He says, And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you a glimpse of my glory. I'll show you a portion. I will not show you my entire glory because that would would put you out of your state of mortality. And so God shows his glory. And then as God passes by, there's something that takes place that's recorded in Exodus 34. Take a look, please, in verse 6. It says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed... Who's passing before him? The God of glory, right? The Lord. And then this Lord proclaimed. So God is talking. And here's what he says. The Lord. The Lord God. Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Here's what God declares. He says, I am full of grace and truth. You know where he says it? At the end of verse 6. Look at what it says at the end of verse 6. Abounding in goodness and truth. He uses two Hebrew words that bring us to our understanding of what the New Testament, the passage in John 1.14, is giving us. The word goodness is the Hebrew word chesed, chesed, which means covenant loyalty, steadfast love. Steadfast love, covenant loyalty, that's chesed. He's abounding in steadfast love or covenant loyalty. And then, and truth. The word in the Hebrew is amet. Amet, it just seems, means truth. God is abounding in goodness and truth. And then in John 1.14, we have God saying, this word that was from the beginning that created everything, this word took on flesh. He tabernacled. This is a tabernacle concept here. He tabernacled among us. We beheld his what? Glory. What kind of Glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full, not not just a little glimpse, full of grace. Full of truth. Full of goodness and truth. Just like in Exodus 34. What's the point? God's presence has come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's one of a kind son. His only begotten son. There's no one like him. God says, I've sent him to you that you might see my glory. Now, the Bible says later in John chapter 1, verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten, the special one, the the special son, the only begotten of the Father, who is in the bosom, intimacy, in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. He has made him known. He has explained him. He has brought him to a a, a tangible vision for you. Well, what do we know about this this one? Well, he's full of grace and he's full of truth. Remember remember where the point is and still on the screen behind me. Jesus is the storehouse of grace. When God revealed himself to us so that we could really see what he's like, Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he was Full to overflowing with what? Grace and truth. We could say many other things. Every attribute of the Father is true about the Son. Yes? Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, right? We know all of this. He he is every attribute that God the Father has, God the Son has. But what God tells us in this text is that God, this Jesus, he was full of grace, grace, grace. Well, if he's full of grace, we should probably know what it means. What is grace? Far too often, people look at grace as, oh, God is forgiving. And there is an element of truth to that, because by God's gracious favor, he has bestowed upon us forgiveness. Forgiveness, however, is far more related to a different term called mercy. Mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve. What do we deserve as sinners? Judgment, and God withholds our sin, our, our the judgment for our sin, and He He grants us. There's the gracious part. He grants us forgiveness. So there is a measure in which grace is connected with forgiveness. But mercy is more related to forgiveness than grace is. Grace is just the I declare you forgiven. It's wonderful. Grace is far more than than God being forgiving. Grace is God's favor. Grace is God's blessing. Grace is God's power. Grace is God's life infused into you and to me. Grace is God's sanctification. Grace is God supplying what we need for whatever the occasion. Listen carefully, please. We have to understand this definition of grace. Grace is God supplying what we need for whatever the occasion. Listen carefully. When the law demands obedience, and it does, God's grace supplies what? Obedience. Okay? When my circumstances provide anxiety, God's grace provides peace. When my spouse is unreasonable, God's grace provides long-suffering. When I am surrounded by people who want to battle, God's grace supplies love. You see, God's grace is is taking us from where we are and giving us what we need. And, And who is the storehouse of this grace? Jesus. He became flesh and tabernacled among us. He beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. He's he's the storehouse of grace. He gives us what we need, when we need it, for whatever the situation. Head back to John chapter 1 as we continue to understand what this unlimited supply of grace is like. John chapter 1. The first truth we notice is that Jesus is the supply or the storehouse of grace. Secondly, Jesus applies grace for every need, which we just started intimating, right? Take a look at John chapter 1 and verse 16. This is amazing. You you really, you have to love this. You have to love this. You don't have any choice. I'm going to make you love this. (laughs) Verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received. The ESV just changes one word. For from his fullness we have all received. I want to relate verses 16 and 14 because they are related very intimately. Verse 14 says, full of grace and truth. And the word full is the word play race. It just means to be full to the top. Absolutely full. And then verse 16, he uses the word play Roma or fullness. From the the fullness, this this absolutely full to the top, from, from this vast supply of grace, we have all what? Received, We have all received. Now who is this all? Is this every human ever? No. It's everyone who knows Christ. Everyone who is, has, has union with Christ. Everyone who is in Christ. Everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior at the moment of their salvation has been placed into the body of Christ. That's good. That means we're placed into the church. But even better than that, as great as that concept is, we are then united in Christ forever. Where Christ is, I am. Where Christ is, that's where my life is. Where Christ is, that's where my righteousness is. Where Christ is, that's where my obedience is. Where Christ is, that's where my sanctification is. Where Christ is, I am. I am forever and ever intimately, intimately tied to Him. We have received grace. Who has received grace? Those that are intimately tied to him. The Bible says in Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Everything about God is, is in Jesus. You want to know why? <laughs> it's a very easy answer because Jesus is God. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Bodily or in bodily form. Every ounce of deity dwells in the body of Jesus. Why? Because he's God. And it's from his fullness. His fullness. Is there anything lacking in his fullness? Not a thing. Why? Because he's God. He has every ounce of every kind of fullness that there is that is God. And it's of his fullness That we have received. Listen, friends, if you know Jesus, you have everything. If you have Jesus, you lack nothing. Why? Of His fullness. Of His fullness. Not my fullness, not your fullness, not the church's fullness, not the the fullness of the United States of America. It's the fullness of Christ, and there's nothing lacking. Of His fullness, you've all received. And listen, He says, and grace for grace. That's the way it is in the New King James. In the ESV, it's grace upon grace. But even better, in the Greek language, listen, here's what it sounds like. Ready? Karin, anti, karitas. You know what that means? Grace against grace. Or, grace instead of grace. What? What do you mean? Listen. When this wave of grace comes, something else is coming behind it. Guess what it is? More grace. Instead of this grace, that grace. And instead of that grace, this grace. Instead of this grace, that grace. It's like this never-ending supply. It's one wave of the ocean after the other. And that doesn't ever stop. It just keeps on coming. Jesus is the storehouse of grace. And he has grace for every need. Of his fullness, we've all received, and it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Keep running the sentence on, friends. There's nothing like it. We lack nothing. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, in verses 15 and 16 For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted like we have been, or like we are, yet without sin. What what should we do about this? Well, he tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to what? The throne of supply. The throne of divine favor. The, the, The throne that gives us what we need when we need it. The throne of grace. Come, confidently, come boldly, come with open face, come with freedom of speech. Where? To the throne of grace. What will happen? Why? Why should we come? That we may receive mercy, forgiveness, and find grace, God's supply. When? Right in the time of need. It's grace to help in time of need. So here's what I want you to understand about John 1.16, and this is why you should love it of his fullness we've received, and grace upon grace, that means there's new grace for every need. You'll never get to a place where God will not meet the need with his grace. This this is why we worship the God of the universe and the God of the Bible. Because not only does he tell us what will hurt us, not only does he tell us the right direction, when we meet a need, and every one of them is beyond our capability, when we meet a need, he supplies what we need to meet it. This is a God of grace, new grace for every need. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. You'll, you'll rec- uh, recognize it very quickly. Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Well, that sounds meager, doesn't it? It's sufficient. It's, it's yeah, no. It's never, eh, my grace is enough. Where are you seated? Right there. Do you believe that God's grace is enough? Does it satisfy you? Does it make you want to shout up and, and yell, I can't believe that I have a God who would do this for me? It should. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power. You know how we just called grace power? My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This little pause, side note. It's not a rabbit trail, it's connected. You really need to understand the end of that verse. Now I know you do in your brain, but you're smart people. But I want you to understand it in your spirit. What God has just told us through Paul is when you're strong, the grace ain't being used. When you think you can. Paul said, I would rather boast in my infirmities, my weaknesses, because when I am weak, then he is strong. But if I say I am strong, what I'm saying is I'm good enough, I'm all set. God's grace is enough, and we need to let it be enough. There's new grace for every need. Jesus is the storehouse of God's grace. Jesus supplies grace for every need. And very very similar, you're not getting anything new in point number three, Sorry. Jesus' supply of grace is unlimited. Jesus' supply of grace is unlimited. We see it again in verse 16. We already read it, so I'm not going to uh, reiterate it, but just remember this concept of grace upon grace. I'll remind you of a, of a quote. You may have seen it before. I don't know. F.F. F. Bruce wrote this. The plenitude of divine glory and goodness which resides in Christ Is an ocean from which all his people may draw without ever diminishing its content. That just makes me happy. Listen, people all over the place are sucking on on God's grace, right? Just just constantly sapping. We're saplings. That's what we are. We're parasites. We can't do anything, so we, we latch onto him. This is God's plan. We latch onto him, we suck all this grace out, and guess what? There's more grace. There's more grace. This is good news. His supply is unlimited. It's not going to be exhausted no matter what we do. You can never never exhaust God's grace. It will supply you with your deepest need through your deepest challenge. The Bible says this in Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Doesn't that sound just like a parasite? It's not me. It's Christ living in me. He, he's doing it. I, I'm just along for the ride. He lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And here's what he says. Don't miss this. I do not nullify. I do not set aside. I do not, King James Version, frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if you really want to demonstrate Christ's righteousness, it needs to be by total and utter dependence upon Christ. And that, that supply of grace will keep coming. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13. Listen, this, this is right where, where the rubber meets the road. This is your everyday life and mine. There is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is what? What does that mean? What does it mean, faithful? What's the point there? Time and time and time, again and again and again. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Well, I I think that the understanding is when you are related rightly to him, he will not allow you to be tempted above your ability. Because it's it's his ability that he's testing. Your ability and my ability, that will fail time and again. So what he's saying here is not, I've made you strong, strong like bull. No problem. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's no temptation that's taken you that not everyone else has gone through. God's faithful, and he won't tax you beyond his ability to supply what you need. Your ability in him. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jesus is the storehouse of grace. Jesus supplies grace for every need. Jesus' supply of grace is unlimited. Lastly, lastly, this is really encouraging, friends. If you like the fact that we've all received of his fullness and grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, if you like this, This last truth is so vitally important for us. Jesus allows his people to be a channel of his grace. Jesus allows his people to be a channel of his grace. Where's this point coming from? Of his fullness. From his fullness we've received. And I want you to think about why did God give you that fullness? Why is it that God has given us this ability to be connected to the vast supply, this unlimited supply of God's grace, why is it that God has graced us upon graced us upon graces? What is the reason so that, that grace might be seen for other people, but ultimately for his glory? Let, let's look at it. three verses, and we're going to do this kind of backwards. I know I don't, we shouldn't do things backwards. We're going to start with the result, and we're going to work our way back to the source. This is all going to be on the screen. You don't need to turn anywhere. You can turn if you want to, but it'll be on the screen Romans 15, 29, Paul, as he's concluding the first time to the Roman church, he concludes a second time in Romans 16, but as he's concluding the first time, he says, I know when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. You know what that means? I'm bringing his fullness with me. That fullness will make an impact on you. That's what he's telling us. When he comes in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, he's bringing that fullness with him, and it's going to make an impact on the church. A a little further, now we're kind of working our way back, in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, it's it's one of the greatest things you've ever read in your life. In in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he starts to tell us what that is. He's chosen us. He's he's predestined us to adoption. He's accepted us in the beloved. He's given us the the riches of his grace that results in the redemption of our soul through the shedding of Jesus' blood. He tells us about the, the benefit of having trusted the gospel that we've received the spirit as the seal of our inheritance, and it's a, it's a down payment of, of heaven. It, it's so great. And then he starts to pray for them, and he, and he prays that they would know God, that they would know him in, in, the, in the hope that we have, that we would know him in, in the love that we have. And, and then ultimately he says that we might know his power for us. If we miss these kinds of words, we're missing the, the text. He said, I want you to know my power for you. And he starts to talk about how he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand and he's, he's placed above every name that's been named, not only in this age but that which is to come. It, it is beautiful. He's saying, I want you to know my power that's for you and how I raised Christ from the dead, seated him my right hand above every name. It's, it's great. And then he starts to tell us its impact. Verses 22 and 23 of Ephesians 1. And he put all things Put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. This church, which is his body. Listen carefully. This church, which is his body, is the fullness of him who fills all in all. He just said... The fullness that fills Christ, that has no boundaries, that is unlimited in supply, that is absolutely the fullness of God in bodily form. This fullness He's granted unto the church. So the church might be the fullness of Jesus, who is the fullness of God. So the church then is a demonstration. Every time we get together, every time we're in the world, what we're doing, we are a fullness of God displayed. That's what results in the blessing of Christ that comes upon people. So in Romans 15, the blessing that comes with him, in Ephesians chapter 1, God's power for you, which is that he fills you, and the church then is his fullness, the fullness of the one who fills everything. Has God manifest his glory? Yes. How? In Christ. Well, he's gone. No, he's not. We're his body, and the body is the fullness of Christ, which is the fullness of God for the world to see and for each other to see. One step further, Ephesians 3, another prayer. In verse 19, the Bible says this, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, listen carefully, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If chapter 1 wasn't clear enough, chapter 3 makes it definitive. God fills his church to the full. When God gives gifts, does he give good ones? Does he give partial gifts? No, it's full to overflowing. 2016 is upon us. Brother, sister, friend, guest, 2016 is upon us. And it is sure to be filled with challenges, with struggles, you will... Fair share of trouble. There may be financial struggle, there might be physical struggle, there might be relational struggle, and you might have vocational struggle. But God's grace is more than adequate to meet those needs. God has an unlimited supply of this grace, and you know where it's found? It's found in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the Father. And God has sent him forth full of truth and of his fullness. We, we have all received grace instead of grace, instead of grace, instead of grace. His son is full of grace. And from that fullness, all of God's people have received. The question is, when we meet these struggles... Will we do what, he, what Paul said we should not do in Galatians 2.21, set aside, frustrate, or nullify the grace of God? Well, can you really nullify the grace of God? No. Grace of God comes, but just because it comes, does it mean that it's actively working in you? Or it might just come and kind of splat and nothing's happening. Grace doesn't stay still. Brian opened our service this morning with 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 10 was the emphasis. And that emphasis is this. I, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So many people will say that. They just stop right there. Oh, yeah, I am what I am. By the grace of God, everything's fine, you know, whatever. That's not what Paul said. I am what I am by the grace of God. And God's grace labored abundantly in me. God's grace doesn't just come and do nothing. It labors. It works. It accomplishes something. It's transformative. Will you and I let Jesus' grace that comes in unlimited supply, will we let it transform us? It can. We might, but will we? I'm so glad that God doesn't leave me to my own devices. You? God has given us an unlimited supply of grace. By his grace, let us allow him to use us to be a blessing to the nations and to one another for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these truths, we are thankful. We're thankful that you, in your kindness, in your love, in your faithfulness, and in your grace, have given us and given us and given us again and again, grace upon grace. Thank you that each, each need we come across, you will supply. We have great confidence because you've told us. We believe your word. Help us that we would reflect these things, that you would accomplish these things in our lives, and that we would leave from this place sharing the glory of the gospel of grace wherever we go, in our homes, our workplaces, and in the marketplace, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.